0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We're back here. Happy Monday. Got to finish out the rest of the Western Conference here. And let's get right to it with the Dallas Mavericks. They sit at... 13 and 11, 4 and 2 in their last six. 0.2 net rating is 16th in the NBA, 13th ranked offense, 18th ranked defense. That's fallen a, a bit after some tougher performances lately. They were uh, in the top 15. Still only project for 34 wins, although a lot of that is based on the preseason projection, which would place them tied for 12th. And given only 3% chance of making the playoffs, despite the positive net rating so far on the season catch you up a little bit on some injury news here Dennis Smith Jr. has missed the last two with a wrist issue and remains doubtful for Monday and Maxi Kleba uh, has been missing some time uh, as well he's fallen off a little bit from three in particular after uh, a good start he's down about 30 percent there Uh, they have been outstanding at home uh, but getting smacked on the road and no more outstanding than in Luka Doncic's personal 11-0 run in their win over the Rockets over the weekend Danny
1: yeah actually first I want to say the numbers because you don't get to say these very often Dallas is 11 and 2 at home and 2 and 9 on the road that's pretty ridiculous and that disparity is only probably going to grow they have orlando and atlanta on monday and wednesday at home and then they have phoenix on the road so then that should probably split it back the other way yeah and donjic he wasn't having a particularly good game i mean he was missed a bunch of shots didn't look to me to be a particularly bad mix just the shots weren't going in and then they were down i believe it was eight to houston And then he just took over. I mean, a lot of it was, you know, making those step-back threes that have been so important to his offensive success so far this year.
0: Yeah. And his step-backs are really interesting. You don't see this from a lot of guys where he'll get like two or three steps inside the arc and then do almost a double step back where he'll maintain his dribble take one step back and then pick it up and take that second step back so he was able to create very good separation from Clint Capella on those switches uh, on those wins Well, Capella slipped a little bit as a switch defender this season I I thought that uh, that really looks good the thing I've been most excited about for Doncic so far is his post game and we saw a little bit of that in europe we talked about that some as a way for him as not the quickest guy in the world to beat switching defenses but even guys his size he's been able to eat against a little bit in the post give you some stats first of all teams are not doubling him hardly at all uh, at least to the point where he's deciding to pass it he's only made three passes out of the post uh, all year when double teamed and taken 29 shots one of the things that I really like about his post game is how rarely he settles. He always at least tries to back down. And even if it does end up being a jump shot, it's usually from within 15 feet and generally against a guy he has a, a size advantage on. And the most impressive thing in terms of a, a certain move has been this drop step that he has got each from either block he'll usually try to back down lower his shoulder a little bit try to get middle and especially if it's a smaller defender that guy is really trying to muscle up and keep him from getting middle and then Luca can use that to his advantage and spin baseline and get, just get like a really nice layup the another advantage of that too is that usually the help is coming from the middle so you can beat the help there as well with, with that quick spin move using the guy's momentum against him when he's trying to, to wall up and then even when he goes to that move if the guy stays with him he can Kind of convert that drop step into a fade-away jumper. Instead, he's had some success there. But his fantastic natural touch from 15 feet and in has caused some problems so the numbers are pretty good in the post you know right it's a little bit less than a point per possession which for half court offense is uh outstanding he also if if he gets middle can go to a hook shot a kind of half hook half floater uh from the left block getting middle to that now i do think he actually you know for all of his passing acumen there were times when he got hard double teamed and just forced up a shot he actually made a couple of them but he really probably needs to improve his vision out of the post i have no doubts that he can get the there uh, eventually, if teams in fact do start double teaming him a, a, a little bit more. He also showed off this nice dirt fade against the Lakers. Uh, I'm just, he's got a lot of moves. He can go either shoulder, either block. He can dribble into it. He can catch it down there, get good position. Uh, and I think that can be a really nice part of his game, especially if they start going to more plays where he's getting a pick set for him by a smaller guy and can get the switch onto a smaller defender and back down. I think it can be, really be a devastating weapon for him.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to really see where his game goes from this point and Getting better at knowing when he doesn't have as much of an advantage and sticking and and not forcing it in those circumstances could really help him. That's something that I've noticed a couple times. Like he just he gets himself into trouble and then can't get all the way out of it yet. So you can either you can either get better at getting out of it or you can just avoid those circumstances more often. And something I think will help his numbers eventually. Dallas is shooting 30% on spot up shots that result from his pick and roll passes and that's 30% is not as good as that number should be so maybe I don't know how much he's going to play with Dirk when Dirk comes back whether that whether that's going to help and did you mention uh, just because I, I don't want to forget it the thing about Dennis Smith because he's missed the yes. last couple games yeah, yeah, and yeah I be, mentioned that okay. at, at the I outset a sure.
0: um, few other things I, I want to talk about with him 18% turnovers is probably the weakest part of his game statistically the other part I would worry about would be you know is this 38% shooting on these really difficult step backs. Is that going to sustain or not uh, from three-point range? But 18% turnovers, that's not the end of the world for a a rookie. You know, sometimes a a high turnover rate is indicative of having the vision, having the creativity to try some things. And certainly some of his turnovers uh, are that. Just passes that, you know, guys going back to or NBA player gets a hand on it. You know, he's just not ready for that. He's probably always going to be a reasonably high turnover player, uh, I'm guessing. Uh, But it does give him some headroom to improve. And that's the big problem right now with his uh, efficiency. I watched uh, his turnovers and some of them are that variety where he's just, all right, tries an ambitious pass. It's just not there. I suspect that he'll be able to uh, eliminate or at least cut those down in time he also actually tends to travel a a fair amount off the catch you know that's something he can clean up in terms of his footwork and he he has a creative handle but it's not the absolute tightest in the world in traffic and probably the more troubling plays where he gets the ball stolen and whether this is going to improve or not it's tough to say but where he just tries to put the ball on the floor and he's up against a more athletic defender doesn't beat the guy when he was expecting to and as a result the ball is in a vulnerable position and, and his dribble gets poked away you know you don't see a lot of times guys just straight up in one-on-one defense get their dribble poked away and that happens reasonably often with him and then also his chemistry with DeAndre Jordan could get better. Uh, Some of that is DJ just not being particularly aggressive going out to the ball when he passes it to him but part of it is just you know he's trying some stuff that is just not there or the pass is inaccurate so i do think he's going to cut down on the turnovers but it is a little bit worrisome that when he tries to beat guys and he doesn't then he gets ripped up you know is that going to improve probably uh, as he gets used to nba athleticism um and finally the last note on him he really could stand to get a lot more steam on his passes he does. He sees the open guy a lot of times, but you know, throwing those Lonzo Ball, those LeBron James thousand mile an hour passes can really help teammates convert. And I'm, this could just be bad luck, but it is worth noting that teammates are only shooting 16 out of 54 on spot ups out of the pick and roll when he he makes a pass. So I, I would like to see him, and I think this will come with more core strength as he improves his body. Like your the core is really the big thing when it comes to throwing passes that have some steam on them. To just be in a position where your core is stable. Because a lot of times, you know, you're going against your momentum, and you got to be able to uh, have a good base to throw that pass. So I think you'll get better there uh, as well. Uh, anything else on these guys? Or should we turn to the Nuggets now?
1: I think it's good to to turn to the walking wounded Denver Nuggets. Yeah, and, they and, and are not walking seven... in some cases. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, so they are 17 and nine, four and two since the last time we did this. Plus 6.4 net rating puts them sixth. They are a strong eighth in defense and an even stronger fifth in defense. Holy. Crap! I mean, eighth, eighth, and fifth. That that looks good. 538 projects them to win 53 games, which would put them third in the Western Conference and gives them 97% chance of making the playoffs. Of course, it can't take into it doesn't take into account. I don't think everything. I know there was some report, something they said about incorporating injury stuff, but I don't know the extent of that yet. But let's go through the, the laundry list right now. So Isaiah and Will Barton, those are well known. Those guys are on their way back, but they're not back yet. Paul Millsap has a broken toe. I haven't heard a definitive timeline on that. I believe Gallo missed eight games with that last year. I don't know if that's a fair a fair comparison or not with the one we do have a timeline on Gary Harris is going to say he has a right hip issue he's going to be out three to four weeks and then on top of all that Jamal Murray got kicked in the shin and had a, apparently had a pre-existing shin issue and he only played 24 minutes in their loss to the Hawks and is questionable for their game on Monday so let's because Murray's injury is more temporary their tentative interim starting lineup is Murray Craig Wancho Trey Lyles and Nicole Jokic because that's basically everybody that's that's healthy I mean they can play Malik Beasley and I actually think they should seriously seriously consider it but i'm guessing the reason they're playing Tory Craig is just because they're losing Millsap's defense so you bring somebody else on the floor who can provide more of that value
0: and the offense is starting to get a a little bit rougher they've had back-to-back losses now in Charlotte that's where Millsap injured himself he actually was in the air came down uh going for a rebound and almost belly flopped onto the ground hit the ground with his stomach and then the front of his big toe impacted the ground so hard that he broke it so i'm uh yeah i'm not sure what the timetable is he'll get reevaluated when they get back to denver it's already been too much of a load for jamal murray right now and you know he has not been efficient but he's the only guy in this team who can create a shot off the dribble right now in the backcourt with harris has been out for a lot of time recently and barton has been out Monte morris is not really a guy who can pull up from the mid-range create a shot in the late clock so he's been the only guy who can do that and that's a little bit too much for him at at this point in his career I think he's still continuing to improve but and he has improved his ISO ability but you know he's not like an absolute number one scorer on a team at this point in his career but one uh, yeah yeah go ahead
1: oh sorry one piece of good fortune for Denver with all this injury stuff is that they only have five games in the next 16 days which is pretty remarkable that they're so spread out when it's a most of that time is a four game homestand they just have games that are really far spread out unfortunately for them those games are against capable opponents you know memphis on monday will be tough especially with jamal murray potentially missing that game and then okc toronto dallas and they then that's when they start you know a bunch of games against the west not all on the road but a bunch of games against the west and you know we don't have firm timelines on will barton and isaiah thomas yet i'm guessing they'll get those guys back before gary harris returns but and we don't know about Millsap and can I get your permission for a short rant? Not a long one, just a short one.
0: Uh, I'm guessing it has something to do with the fact that they just have so many roster spots that they just are getting absolutely nothing out of right now. So somewhat similar to how- what we were talking about with Houston a-, a couple weeks ago.
1: Yeah, it is similar, and it opens the door for a really frustrating problem, which is that Tyler Lydon should not be on this team anymore. Their front office made the decision not to, to not commit to $2 million for Tyler Lydon, Even with all of these injuries, he's not playing. So you have to cut him and bring in somebody who can actually play. They have right now. So let's go through the zeros of the roster spots. So the two guys they drafted, Michael Porter and Jared Vanderbilt are both hurt. Porter, they knew that going in. Vanderbilt, you know, that was an unfortunate injury, but he's been injury prone in his career. I'm not criticizing them for any of that. Then Millsap Harris, Barton Isaiah, those guys are all out, you know, injuries. So if you have another guy that you can't or won't play, It exacerbates all that. And it's even worse because they have some financial flexibility. Remember, they traded away wilson chandler kenneth Fried and Darrell arthur plus a first round pick for the latter two to get below the tax that means they have some wiggle room where they could pay somebody they don't really have much spending power but they could pay somebody just to be a stopgap at whatever position is the greatest need and then even if they pay him a full season salary remainder at the minimum they could just cut them and then sign somebody else and they do have these kind of stopgaps so one of their two ways is thomas welsh who they don't have a use for him in the rotation because he's a big, and those are the guys who weren't hurt. Uh, They have Devon Purcell, who's played some spot minutes, but he didn't play against the Hawks, which is when they really started having a crunch. And then they have Brandon Goodwin on an injury exception, who went to Florida Gulf Coast. He's been doing well scoring wise in the G League, but he's more of a guard, and he hasn't played at all in the NBA. You know, he was on their team in the preseason, so they just need bodies. And it's it's shocking to me. I mean, granted, the Millsap injury happened recently, but get rid of Tyler Lydon. You don't. You need you need every body. You need every hand on deck that you can get, and the stakes for them are incredibly high because because not only making the playoffs, but they're seeding within it. We know how tight this West is, you know, getting 20, 20- 15, 20 minutes a game for the next two weeks from somebody that you can try to pull up is, is incredibly important.
0: Well, the good news is, though, they they won't be starting the repeater uh, tax clock and still, uh, you know, uh 23 now because they're not paying the taxes, <sighs> right? Well, and so yeah. so the people who are like, you know, people kind of focus on the wrong thing in our criticism of those trades and our criticism of ownership for not being willing to pay the tax. I mean, number one, you know, you made the point that, you know, Farid, I, I don't know about Farid. I mean, Plumlee and, and Jokic are still better than him and they're not hurt so hard to say that you know Farid and Jokic maybe we could play together he, he might be helpful but Chandler certainly would be helping them right now um but more importantly and you mentioned right that they have these roster spots they have Leiden for example who they could easily move on from uh but what did they give up two second rounders in that Chandler trade and then they gave up their first in the free trade so it wasn't just about okay you know that those guys they are going to need those guys it's now you don't have anything else in the war chest to go get someone who can actually help you so so you're trading away guys who, you know, while overpaid still could have contributed. And then you're also trading away the assets that are going to make you feel like, oh man, we can't trade away another asset. Now, remember, they also traded away. Th- this used to be a team that had a ton of draft picks all of a sudden from the Mozgov trade and the Aflalo trade. But then they gave one up to get Plumley. Now they gave one up to get off of uh, Fareed and Arthur. And so they're thinking, hey, you know what? Like we're a good drafting team, but we can't give up more draft picks. But it would be lovely if they, after December 15th, they could pick up someone on the wing who could help them a little bit more. But th- it's unlikely to happen. And, you know, they could lose a lot of ground here with that schedule you mentioned coming up uh, until Harris gets back, until Barton gets back. Uh, and, and we'll see what happens to their defense now with Millsap out too.
1: One other way that they could improve this team conceptually is that they have a bunch of trade exceptions from the aforementioned deals. And they do have wiggle room under the tax, So they can't sign somebody, but they could trade for somebody. The problem is every player, player who who is good enough basically who is good enough that would help them they that team doesn't really want to move them if they're not really getting an asset in return so it's it you don't have the double coincidence once there's not just like this useful four million dollar a year player that somebody's just sitting on you know like that that's not the way this really works so that's why i was kind of thinking more in the signing realm but yeah it's uh, yeah
0: all right well uh, we'll see uh how things go i mean those are they are at home at least uh but if they can go 500 during this stretch when milsap is out i think that they would have to be pretty happy before we turn to the golden state warriors let's talk about uh, that box nuggets game that i went to a couple weeks ago with my wife I actually got tickets through SeatGeek and it was just incredibly easy so much easier than going to a ton of different sites but just to check it out actually I did just to see if I could find a better deal than on SeatGeek I could not I ended up going uh, through SeatGeek and SeatGeek just saves you time and saves you money, unless you're dumb like me and you decide to to check. But as it turned out, I didn't need to do that. SeatGeek had uh, the best deals out there for that game, and that's because they aggregate ticket selling sites together. And then once you actually go in there, they rank every ticket based on value. So you just look for those big dark green dots in the section you want to sit, and that lets you know that that's the best deal in that section. So you can find what you're looking for in 90 seconds now instead of 20 minutes which is what it used to take to to feel better about things uh, that you got the best deal now you can just trust that you're getting it with SeatGeek and if you haven't started yet with SeatGeek you can get ten dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase you download the SeatGeek app and enter that familiar promo code Capspace today SeatGeek the first sponsor of the podcast over three years ago the first sponsor to ever use the hallowed Capspace code And this will get you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And don't forget that cap space code. Let them know that you came from us. So the Golden State Warriors are riding relatively high once again, 18-9, and 4-2 and two in their last six. Steph Curry is back. They had a, an awesome game in Toronto, which they ended up losing, but KD went for 51 had a, a crazy tying shot. Then they lost in Detroit in Curry's return, got right with two huge blowout wins of the Hawks and Cavs, in which Curry left or picked up right where he had left off. One thing I wanted to talk about here is... Uh, I kind of understand just a little bit where Kevin Durant might be coming from if he decides to leave this team because it is players will talk coaches will talk all the time that winning is the most important thing and yes I think that is true in a lot of respects but you have to establish your own career you have to establish your own legacy as a player as well and Kevin Durant has won now two championships and it seemed like really other than In the finals against the Cavaliers, which were a great matchup for him, and he won two finals MVPs, it really seemed like he was finally starting to get the credit, at least as a regular season player, in Golden State for the first time. He he was putting up 40, I think, three games in a row. That crazy game in the last game before Steph came back on national TV against the Raptors. He's playing, you know, probably been playing the best basketball in the league for about two and a half weeks. And then Steph Curry comes back, and it's right back to, you know, 10 to 13 shooting against the hawks or or the Cavs or whoever it was and steph curry is this system he is the offense in the regular season he is now the big star again kd is not the guy you know who is featured on this team you know they finally were starting to find ways to feature him get enough shooting around him let him get to his preferred spots his preferred ways of operating And now that Curry is back, KD is kind of the, all right, well, the regular stuff's not working. Let's go to KD now, you know, and he can still find ways to be very effective in the offense. But his ISO game is not something that they do a ton of just naturally. It's not what Kerr believes in. And, you know, KD is not like huge on cutting to the basket and the off-ball stuff. And like, you know, for... Maybe he could be better at that, but that's just not his natural game. So he was just starting to get his due and make potentially his own MVP push. And now Curry comes back and after three games, it's, oh, Steph Curry, like how many games is he going to play uh, the rest of the year? And if can he keep this up and can he get back uh, the MVP conversation? And so you, just, you understand a little bit where KD could feel like, hey, you know what? My talents are not maximized here uh, in Golden State. Certainly staying there is probably his best chance to win. But you could see if he does leave, outside of the whole draymond drama you could see why he might want to go in that direction just for kind of his own career if the outside noise is something that's important and i think you know some of katie's actions have indicated that he certainly uh pays attention to that stuff for good or for ill in his position i probably would be the same way so i i would understand it if he left i mean and this last three four weeks would be an encapsulation of that beyond you know, the whole Draymond drama thing.
1: It, it has to be hard. I mean, especially for a guy who has already won an MVP and that thinks of himself as, as that type of player. We, we talked about his candidacy when we did the end of November awards podcast. And especially offensively, you, you talked about just like how he, he goes from being a, an integral part to being a useful part but not as essential as curry and i mean an example of that to to a point was in the in the milwaukee game i mean durant provided value as as a defensive player one of the biggest differences between this game and the bucks demolition of the warriors at oracle a game both of which draymond green did not play in which is an interesting parallel between the two is that milwaukee sent all this extra attention steph curry's way and that that opened up a lot of what the rest of the team did and durant while he provided value as a defensive player had i would argue his worst offensive game of the season and the warriors were still able to win going away now a, a portion of that is because of their defense and milwaukee missing a bunch of shots that they would normally make but you kind of see that you know it, it, it must be a little bit of a different feeling for him
0: let's talk about that game though 105 one hundred and five ninety five 95 warriors victory over the box Steve Kerr has really waxed and waned on this whole three-pointer thing. And first he was talking about, hey, I got to do a better job of coaching. We got to get up more threes. Uh, After the Detroit game, they didn't really do that. I made the prediction on our follow-up award show that they would not be in the top 10 in the league in three-point attempt rate. And then Kerr, before the game, he says, well, I would rather go six of 12 from two than four of 12 from three, which would be the exact... Over attempts. And, and you know what? He's actually absolutely correct on that. All things being equal, uh, because you would rather face fewer misses, uh, as a defense. And he cited that. I also think too just for some players selfishly you feel better just when the ball goes in a greater percentage of the time it, you've it's better for your confidence you know I think a lot of players who have just kind of want to shoot mid-rangers and not shoot threes even though you're scoring more points at the end of the night just as you're in the course of the game it feels better and I think this is a part of why a lot of coaches didn't embrace the three either it just feels better to be making more shots like oh we didn't have another empty trip that possession even if at the end of the night you've scored more points but it that's apropos of nothing, and perhaps this is a little bit of gamesmanship from Kerr. We do see him every once in a while try to obfuscate things, because the Warriors jacked up 46 three-point attempts, and this is a shooting performance that wouldn't have been possible for them last year. Jonas Jurebko, nine three-point attempts, uh, Alfonso McKinney, seven three-point attempts, and the Bucks. Steve Kerr was well aware that what they did at Oracle what they've been doing all season is pack the crap out of the paint help off the weak side wing to the nail and one pass away for the Warriors many a time was a wide open three-pointer they drained those shots I also really liked uh, Jarebko has been so aggressive I still wonder if he's going to be able to hold up defensively uh, in the later rounds of the playoffs but, I mean, he's doing, like, pick-and-pop threes to the corner that are very difficult to to guard. And so the Warriors, you know, it was... This game almost kind of reminded me a little bit of that OKC series back in 2016 where, you know, KD wasn't getting it going from two-point range. And basically, it was just defense and threes that the Warriors were reduced to once, you know, Steph was, was hurt a little bit and the so guys were kind of wearing down. Uh, But defense and threes was more than enough to win this one. The more impressive aspect of the win, though, was... Holding the Bucks to 95 points, how did they do that?
1: I think one of the big differences that happened was in the first game. Kerr tried a bunch of different things to not have Kevin Durant guard Giannis, and so they that included starting Jordan Bell at power forward. Bell had Bell got just wrong. Then they tried Looney there Bell, a little Bell bit. Got they, wrong, they tried huh? to. Uh, I didn't even think about that when I said it, but it was. <laughs> I, I've just been infected. But they uh, they tried Durant. I thought he did a really nice job another big part of it was was fortunate three-point shooting I mean Chris Milton went one for seven a couple of those were well contested a couple of those were shots that should have gone in did missed a couple of a couple of chippies as well but I thought they did a nice job contesting at the basket making things hard there and forcing 18 turnovers what was good most of those were actually dead ball turnovers not light ball but I thought they did a nice job contesting shots and something that was was intriguing that the Warriors did Kevon Looney largely tried to make Robin sorry not Robin Brooke Lopez an in inside the arc players so they were basically treating him they, to me they were treating him more like a 3 than like a 5 so they were they, they weren't really helping off him too much they were keeping a guy more more in front of him and I think that's a good idea. And so Lopez actually had some success driving to the basket. I think he got a foul and an and one. But he's so confident shooting threes right now that I think playing him that way is, is, is a worthwhile gamble. It's something I've talked about before of actually not putting your five on him is, is another idea worth considering. And I think yeah. they did Although, a lot th- of those things well. Then your problem well.
0: is, though, where do you put your five? Where do you put like, put if your, your five? five can't guard Giannis, and Looney completely failed guarding Giannis in the first game. Um, right, right but I thought they did a pretty good job of packing the paint on Giannis I mean they did give up 39 threes but that's lower than the Bucks' average uh but you know seven of 39 obviously the Bucks are uh, yeah okay the Warriors are good at closing out blah blah but like you know you can't count on seven of 39 three-point shooting uh, against you every time but it, it was good I mean they tried which was the biggest thing I mean you thought how the hell are they going to stop this team it's one of the best offenses in the league without Draymond and you know just to not get run over completely by Giannis the way they did in the first game and to not give up a bunch of system buckets to like pat Connaughton cutting back door in like they did in the second quarter of that game a bunch of times so uh yeah i thought that they did pretty well there and you know managed to hold the bucks to fewer threes than normal and they didn't just get completely bludgeoned at the rim the way they did in the first game
1: yeah one could call it a make or miss league maybe
0: a couple other quick hitters draymond green will return he's still saying he could win defense player of the year despite all the missed time we'll see i mean if golden state gets to like 65 wins and you know i mean that if that's true they would only lose eight more games the rest of the season to get to 65 wins seems unlikely um and then uh, demarcus cousins has been doing all the practices with the warriors but they don't practice very hard during the season so he's actually going to practice with santa cruz unclear if he's actually going to play a game or two down in the g league uh, before he returns i think that would probably be good for him though. Let's turn to the 15 and 10 Memphis Grizzlies. What are the rest of their fundamentals, Danny?
1: 3 and 3 since the last time we hit them. Plus 1.3 net rating puts them 15th. They are still rough 27th in offense fourth in defense, and 538 projects them to win 43 games, which would be 11th in the West, gives them a 43% chance of making the playoffs. The biggest personnel thing that's happened between the last time we recorded and now on Memphis is adding Joakim Noah that had been off-rumored, but it actually happened. He's played in three games, and the most significant of those performances was in the second one. They played the New Orleans Pelicans on the road in New Orleans, won that game, and Noah was very productive. Coming off the bench was just, just beating up the, the Pelicans for a key stretch of the game.
0: Yeah, he finished with 13 points on five of eight, and I, I've watched all of his possessions. He was less effective against the Lakers and the Clippers. He's played three games now. But I will say he looks better than he did it during his time in New York. It really, his offensive game completely fell apart in New York. You know, you remember he used to like push the ball up floor and he at least could like make an open 17 footer and he would try and do drives from the free throw line where he catch the ball there and guys would just hang back, go into like a, a lefty layup back in his chicago days and he's been very aggressive since joining the, the grizz and to some extent they need that especially on the second unit they just don't have uh much playmaking i don't know how well that's going to work out i mean he's still extremely predictable you know he goes to tries to just do like a running left hand layup that's not a high percentage shot he's gotten a couple of those blocked by the opposing center if he gets just fed the ball under the rim if he can't dunk it he's just gonna miss like <laughs> that's basically especially he has any kind of a body on him at all he just like he plays the the game around the rim like he just has two broken hands like the way he brings the ball up like he he brings the ball up around the rim in the same way that he brings it up to shoot the tornado jumper um so he's taken three of those jumpers he's one out of three um and again you know he wasn't even close on some of those his free throw shooting had completely declined as well so he looked like a more confident player obviously things really went awry for him in new york so we'll see if he can continue to help them you know i didn't lock in that much uh, on how he looked defensively that's something uh, that we'll get a chance uh, to look at uh, over the next couple of weeks but it, it looked at least like he could uh, be effective uh, over three games you know it wasn't just a complete disaster at the start here so the thing that yeah, and, yeah go ahead sorry if you want to finish up Well,
1: and it. i was going to say and and their current conception of the rotation actually leaves the space for Noah because jaron jackson is playing more of the starting starting power forward spot and so having a Ten to twelve minute a game center to backup Marcus Ole is is something that actually provides some utility for them.
0: So I, I wanted to ask you this: They've got Noah now you know i'm not sure sh- maybe they could do better at, at backup center uh, than him we'll see how he plays but what would you be looking to upgrade that you realistically could on this team given uh obviously that they owe that first rounder already to the celtics that's top eight protected looks like it's almost certain to go at, at this point which I, I think they're probably happy about frankly but like where is the upgrade that could occur uh, on this team you know let's say if they wanted to uh i don't see them giving up a first rounder because they still do have a very certain future they could certainly be bad as early as next year because Gasol could be a free agent he could leave you know and they could end up not making the playoffs but if they wanted to give up like a couple of seconds or something like just we don't even have to talk specific players but like what does this team need to get better at that realistically you could upgrade over you know, where are the holes in their rotation maybe is is a way to put it.
1: I would love to see them get another forward. I think that's the biggest need. And I personally feel that Kyle Anderson is more of in an ideal, you know, if, if talent were distributed and you could choose his role, to me, Kyle Anderson is more of a four than a three, especially offensively. But but really, I think on both ends, he fits in a little bit better there. His length can cause problems for some small forwards. We've, we've seen him vex various different guys. And somebody I, I would say, you know, they have to be capable on both ends. But if I were to choose an attribute, I would actually rather have somebody who's a capable, like who's a better shooter than a defender, though you could go in both directions. I think they could get value from either one. But the reason why I'm saying a forward specifically is that they have kind of a bunch of lottery ticket type guys on the perimeter but most of those players i would classify as twos that i don't feel super comfortable guarding threes like i like wayne selden a lot better on twos Marshawn brooks can't really i don't trust him guarding threes like those type of guys garrett temple you you know you can push him up a little bit if you want but i think he's best guarding shooting guards so adding somebody to that mix especially if jermichael green you know if his jump shot isn't all the way there even though they are using jaron more there just an another option that is more capable would be would be beneficial they have some they have some guys like i mean and maybe dylan brooks can be a part of more of the three end of that rotation but i still think that's the biggest need
0: i think they just need a bomber at basically like any position i mean they, they really you know march Marshawn brooks is kind of that guy but he's not not like you know gonna come off screen spot up like he he'll shoot more jumpers off the dribble he's not like an amazing three-point threat more of a long two guy but you know he's been solid at that in his grizzlies career so you know maybe like a wayne ellington or if the heat fall out of it the, they've played a little bit better lately uh terrence ross if the magic start to fall off um you know maybe a trade of like you know alan crab for chandler parsons although the grizz obviously would have to give up an asset in the that sort of a deal it, that's the kind of thing that i think they could be looking at here just get like one guy who could just jack uh and i think they that could well, and something's things up for them a little bit
1: something i'll add in on that point is that memphis to you know we've talked about how they they might not want to add in assets because of their existing obligations they could take on money for next season without really getting too big of a hit they they m- you know they don't they have a little bit of spending power in that capacity i don't think they're going to be able to create cap space unless marcus all opts out and leaves so you know if they could take on somebody that's making a few million for next year or even up to i think if they were somewhere around eight they'd probably still be okay that could be a way to get a better player without having to give up an asset maybe they could even get something back in return like they would have been a logical kyle korver team for that
0: reason yes i i agree it's interesting that they weren't in those sweepstakes you mentioned taking out money for next year you know maybe expiring contracts oh let's see do they have enough to get this done i think mean, temple is an important part they wouldn't want to get rid of him i don't think they could quite cobble together enough salary for enough because it would have to be an expiring contracts, uh, obviously to get tim hardaway from the Knicks. um but that's maybe one you could think of the Knicks if they wanted to.
1: Oh, I I, I thought you were going to Ryan Anderson. That's where I thought you were going. Yeah, that, that would be
0: an interesting one too. Um, but again, I think Parsons would just have to be part of that deal because Anderson's twenty million a year is so toxic. Even though even if it's only fifteen million next year, that's still really toxic for what he's uh, providing. Um, all right I, I think that's all I've got to, on them should we move on to Minnesota now
1: let's do it the Wolves are an even 13 and 13 4 and 2 in their last 6 they are slightly below water in net rating negative 0.1 puts them 18th 15th in offense all the way up to 16th defense 538 projects them to win 44 games which would put them in a tie for the 8th seed something that's pretty familiar to them after last year 53% playoff odds and they I I thought they really missed Robert so Robert Covington he, he had a sore knee he didn't play against portland i thought they really missed him they started derrick rose in his place and since covington is a better team defender than man-to-man defender he could have been really destructive against portland because he could have helped off of turner or, or harkless or i mean because they started harkless at the three could have gone in a couple different directions with that the game ended up being close and so i mean they they timber will still put up a good fight but you know that that's part of why Robert covington is a good player and i would have enjoyed from an intellectual standpoint putting charge in his place but but I understand why they started Rose because, you know, his shot creation and everything else. And he's been playing well, of course.
0: So what do their numbers look like uh, since the Butler trade as they've been playing so well? Why don't we update that?
1: Yeah. I mean, so they have a plus 7.7 point differential with, and a nine and four record. They are 16th in offense, 1099 offensive rating and third in defense, 102.2, which is pretty remarkable. They are dominant. In forcing turnovers and opponent effective field goal percentage, which are two of the four factors, they're solid in the other two. And there is some very significant opponent shooting luck since the trade. This is something I talked about a little bit in the Tyson Chandler section of the Lakers podcast yesterday. But and again, that's another small sample size thing. Basically they're they're giving up a lot of threes and they're not going in, but opponents are shooting poorly from every part of the floor. And generally speaking, even if a team is really good defensively, that's not really gonna be true. They'll be bad at a couple of things and good in a couple of things. So there's some regression that's probably gonna happen there, but regression off of a one oh two defensive rating is totally tolerable yeah actually
0: I think you would have to say that the 18th in offense is a little bit disappointing you know I think they were I want to say they were 10th in the first Thibodeau season when they had the point differential of a 38 win team but only won the 31 and that's with them shooting pretty well on threes since the trade they're at 38 percent from downtown since the trade the big problem for them although he's turned it around a little bit in the last couple games is just that Andrew Wiggins continues to struggle mightily 30 37% 37% from the field for Wiggins. He's still, he's shooting 2.8 free throws per game. I mean that's crazy. Like he's getting Just fouled. just the
1: point of clarification that's 37% since the trade.
0: Yeah, since the trade, yeah. Um and then 65% from the foul line when he on the rare occasions that he does get there and, and 34% on threes. So I mean he's just and they have more spacing on this team than they've ever had. He's just not getting to the rim. He's not getting fouled. It's just been an incredible regression and you know I know he had that quad injury early in the season so maybe that explains some of this that this is that's just kind of lingering those quad bruises can linger as we saw with a lot of guys last year although it's no indication that it's like a quad tendon issue which is what obviously Kawhi and uh, wayne selden and and uh, uh dfs jordan finney smith had so that's been concerning but there's really nobody else and then tyus jones can't hit a shot this year either but everyone else is playing pretty well and carl anthony towns has been playing so much better after the butler trade i mean to the point where you really it seemed like how poorly he was playing and we were speculating this at the time was almost like you know a mini rebellion against Butler still being on the team.
1: Yeah, he he definitely has taken a step up. I mean, his counting stats are are improved, also his efficiency has has stepped up and then 3% increase in usage is pretty significant. I mean, when you talk about a guy who has already had 24 usage to go up to 27, that's a pretty big jump. The offense has actually been slightly stronger in Towns minutes since the Butler trade than before, but then 14 points better in terms of defensive rating and that's why their starters have been outscoring Opponents by you know about seven points per hundred possessions, just dis- despite Wiggins' ineffectiveness. I mean a lot of that's fueled by defense, and then their their backups have been pretty solid as well and i think that's part of how this has been going is that they they've been solid in both phases and that leads to you know being having a couple of different places where you can succeed against most opponents
0: yeah and derrick rose since the trade 52 percent from the field 47 percent from three he's been outstanding in his uh 30 minutes per game and towns he is shooting fewer shots at the rim overall on the season but he's been getting more at the rim lately His post-up game has looked better. He's getting back to just being that dominant force in the post where he's able to back down against just about anybody and get into that hook shot and have it go in. And from downtown, he's still he's been fantastic. Forty-two percent, twenty out of forty-eight since the trade.
1: Well, that's actually a crazy stat. So every since the trade, every single Timberwolf that has taken more than two three pointers per game is averaging that is shooting thirty-four percent or better on threes.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing that we might see fall back a little bit. I'd like to maybe we'll have to pay some more attention to this for next time. Just like why it is that they're only eighteenth in offense since the trade that's what it was right 18th 16th 16th yeah because you would think with towns some of these other guys playing pretty well now t t has been out for part of the time you know i think when they went to the bench without him and and rose was starting uh, that was a little bit more difficult but uh yeah i mean because you would think uh, but i mean if you had to guess what do you think their net rating is for the rest of the season from right now
1: huh uh, so i don't think they're a 102 defense the rest of the year no that's for damn sure but if that gets into more like the let's say 107 108 range i think that's reasonable it depends on who stays healthy and who's not and then so I'm gonna say they're like a like a plus one type of team which is way better than I thought they would be after and the that would trade. be something in that room that would
0: be a significant step forward but even if that happens the fact that they'd be doing it with just and again maybe Wiggins will like start saying a stuff you know he'll he'll have a couple of 20 point games on like decent efficiency and you're like oh maybe he's turning the corner like no i'm not not getting fooled by that yet but I mean to feel better about the long-term health of this franchise like he just has to take a step forward the fact that they've been able to defend even for just this short of a stretch with Carl Towns at, at center is very encouraging I mean a 101 defensive rating over a 15 game stretch with him like that's better than we've ever seen before it may regress but still even to be passable with him at center now you can feel much better so I don't know yeah I mean I I, I still I still can't trust the defense that much but maybe Covington just, just has made such a big deal hopefully Tibbs won't run him into the ground you know that knee issue uh in the portland game that's definitely a concern you know if that's going to be a lingering thing tom thibodeau is not exactly known for helping to manage like chronic conditions like that so we'll see i'd probably put him yeah you know right around neutral net rating going forward here you know I just I can't quite buy whether I think they'll be better offensively but you know I still don't think that they'll be above average defensively going forward here we'll see though I mean this has been a great stretch for them I I could very easily be wrong but I still I need more than 14 games to buy it with the track records of guys like Wiggins and Towns
1: let's move to the New Orleans Pelicans they are also 500 they are 14 and 14 and 4 and 4 in their last 8 their plus 2.5 net rating puts them 11th in the league they are a very strong third in offense and 23rd in defense. 538 projects them to win 46 games, which would put them sixth in the West and gives them a two-thirds chance of making the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I watched uh, their game against the Pistons today. AD, towards the end of the first half, got a knee to the hip as Blake Griffin was going up for a one-foot layup. He missed a lot of time in the first half. Uh, He came back in, but basically was limited to just being a rim protector and a jump shooter other than a great play to ice the game where he ran in and got his own missed three-pointer and got a layup. Other than that, he was totally uninvolved in the offense other than just taking standstill jumpers, but still was pretty decent just as kind of an immobile rim protector and uh, was able to guard Blake a little bit in the second half, but... They got a lot from Julius Randall. Holiday was awesome as well. I do have to chide my buddy Jill Myers a, a little bit for just spending like a third of the second half harping on the refs and how none of these guys get calls. I just I can't stand that from the local announcers. Like I'm sorry, I just like no local announcer is capable of being objective about this 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 stuff. No one who works for a team is capable of being objective about this stuff. Very very few fans are capable of being objective uh, about calls. So yeah, I mean you might point out. A couple of plays where your guy should have gotten the call i totally agree the some of the calls he was complaining about he was right they missed it but you're also just not going to point out the plays where your team benefits from bad calls generally joel will do that something he's nowhere near as bad in this category this is more just a general thing but overall these things tend to even out over the course of a season and it would take very very compelling evidence much more than anecdotal from a broadcaster during a game to convince me that you know there's some kind of a an unfairness that continues uh, from the rough. so that said i wanted to have liam uh, do some research here because it seems like they've had a bunch of guys out and injured and you know they can't get their team healthy but they've also had some dominating performances so I wanted to have him look at uh, what we would say healthy games. So the main guys who have missed time are Miritich, Etuan Moore, and AD. But all four of those guys have been healthy in 18 of their 28 games. And they're only 9-9 nine and nine in those games. They have a plus 2.3 net rating, 114 offense, 111 uh, on defense. And as Liam noted, not a particularly difficult schedule for those 18 games either so he also took a look at their stats with those four guys all on the floor and that looks a lot better right so with those four guys on the floor plus 13.2 118 offensive rating 105 defensive rating so that's uh, looks really really good and so what that starts to make you think is well the problem is still when anthony davis is off the floor when their main guys are off the floor the depth on this team just is not good enough
1: the depth and the defense i mean the miritich randall combo has a 118 defensive rating negative 8.2 net rating and i mean that there are a lot of different things that that leads to and also i it's something that i've considered the numbers actually ended up on those lineups being less severe than I thought. In terms of, I, I generally I think of Drew and AD as pairing together, and the Mirtich Randall combo has played more withdrew i think it's around 50 percent of their possession so i was a little bit surprised by that um but they can't defend anybody during that stretch and also you i think you're right in terms of the important guys that been hurt but the ripple effects of like even alfred payton being out because then tim frazier's in the starting lineup and, and everything else that comes from that and granted teams are going to go through injuries and your fifth starter being hurt is something that happens all the time like it's it, if that sinks if that sinks you then you might get sunk by something else, but I, I think that now is a good time t- tying in with this when AD's off the floor thing to really assess Julius Randall's impact on this team so far.
0: Well, his stats are fantastic, and he was had uh, another monster game tonight, 28 points in 34 minutes. He's uh, quite prone to getting in foul trouble. But it's interesting, he and AD actually have been starting now. Miritich had this illness. He played 30 minutes, so I'm not sure whether his Randall's time in the starting lineup is temporary or not. I mean, their rotations were really weird. I mean, they started Tim Frazier and played him 34 minutes. He was actually pretty good in this game. Hit a couple of threes, which is rare for him, although, you know, he still kills the spacing. He has, he's like hanging out in the dunker spot a lot of the time and he's a tough guy, but you know, he's also a six foot point guard. It shouldn't be in the dunker spot. And like Etuan Moore has been struggling with some lower body injuries he only played 16 minutes in this one didn't quite look right in this one to me so the rotations could be kind of weird and then obviously ad missed some time as well as you you mentioned in the first half Though he still managed the five blocks but back to randall He's been absolutely devastating as a role man. He's shooting 77% on rolls to the rim, and he's not going to pick and pop at all. He's going to the basket every time. His passing also has been good. Teams that, when he gets a physical mismatch, have been collapsing down. 70 assists on the season, that's pretty close to three a game. I mean, when you consider he's not playing that many minutes, uh, you know, he's always had underrated passing vision, going back to when he uh, had that game-winning assist, uh, I think it was against Louisville when he was in college in the tournament he also actually has been really good as a spot-up guy not shooting the ball though he's got 53% e-field goal on spot-ups but he's only taking you a little over one a game uh, on those jump shots but where he really is effective is if he can catch the ball and guys are backing off of him he's got such a nice handle and such strength that he can just get going to the rim and attack and so he's got 32 points on 22 drives and he, he used to be very limited he would always go left always spin back to his left that's no longer the case He goes about either way or he goes either way about 50 percent of the time on his drives not great finishing with the right hand but he can at least go right and he's so strong and explosive that even if he's going up with his left hand on the right side he's got such pop that he can still go over guys I mean, he just is an incredible physical specimen and you know, you look at what he's doing and then you look at like what Zion Williamson, who's just like even a, a level beyond Randall, you know, what he might be able to do with the way Randall has been scoring, you know, is pretty tantalizing. Uh, but Randall, I mean, he was like, Blake Griffin is supposed to be like a pretty strong guy and Blake doesn't try that hard on defense, but Randall was just going right through him and like physically dominating him on plays where he's putting the ball uh, on the floor But the problem is on the defensive end, when he's playing center without AD, it looks real rough.
1: Yeah, and some of that is probably exacerbated by bad luck for opponent shooting. Teams are shooting, you know, Forty-two percent on threes, forty-eight percent on mid-range. Both of those are what above what you would expect, but they're getting to the rim at will, and the the Pelicans can't grab defensive rebounds in those lineups too. So at both of those problems, when you watch them play, you go, "Oh yeah, that looks about right," because they they aren't really providing much of an impediment, and then and so it creates a problem when your your front court defense relies exclusively on one player and he obviously can't play 48 minutes
0: well and probably the most damning thing and we mentioned the the bad shooting luck on jumpers is when he is at center opponents shoot 41% of their shots at the rim that is a titanic number and when he is at power forward which means he's playing with ad only 33% of their shots at the rim which is a much more manageable number so but that 41% is just crazy so he you know especially in a conventional pick and roll scheme he's not effective there he's not a shot blocker he's got pretty short arms Really, the only thing that he's good at defensively is staying in front of guys, and I think actually he's been worse at that this year as well as a switch guy than he was with the Lakers last year, where that was more kind of part of their scheme. And generally, you know, you're not going to be in a switch everything scheme when you've got AD out there because you want to keep him closer to the rim. um And so, going from a conventional scheme to a switch everything scheme when one player goes out of the game, you know, that's probably not realistic for uh, a lot of teams. So yeah, I mean, I think they're gonna just gonna have to outscore guys uh, when ad is out of the game so randall's been very valuable but the fit issues that have always really plagued his career continue to rear their head right because while he's a really good offensive player you know ad is one of the few guys with his shooting ability and ability to protect the rim that randall is a good fit next to when you put him next to a traditional power forward because you're it's rare you're going to get a center who can shoot like ad and also i think you know randall does negatively affect ad's own offensive game when they're playing together Uh, because of his own lack of spacing and and where he likes to set up so yeah he looks really good as an individual offensive player and i'm not saying he's not a valuable player at all i think he he could be really good in a lot of settings and he's having a great offensive season but uh, certainly what you're getting here is less than the sum of its box score stats parts yeah i'd say that's fair also fair is the awesome deal that you're going to get at Indochino, North America's leading made-to-measure menswear company, there's no longer an excuse for wearing an ill-fitting suit or a tuxedo, for that matter. At Indochino, I went through them to outfit my wedding. My tuxedo was from them. My groomsmen all got made-to-measure black sports coats from them. And it's not just for weddings. It's great in everyday life to get a suit that actually fits you. I have always struggled to find something that fits me because I've got kind of big shoulders. My chest isn't that big. My arms are really long. So to get long enough arms off the rack, I had to get like this enormous like XXL size and then they would try to take that and make it smaller but it never really fit right not the way it made to measure does you can either measure yourself at home and they have a tutorial on how to do that at indochino.com or you can visit their showroom they have a number now I think they're up to 12 now in North America have a stylist take your measurements personally and then you can choose your fabric choose your customizations your lapel size the lining the pockets the buttons whether you want it monogrammed And then relax where your suit gets professionally tailored and it gets mailed to you in just a couple of weeks. This week, my listeners can get any premium Indochina suit for a mere $359, far cheaper than you'd pay for one that doesn't even fit you at a department store. Indochino.com is the site. Capspace is the code. 50% off the regular price for a made to measure premium suit and shipping is free. That's Indochino.com. Use that promo code Capspace, which of course we talk about all the time on the program, to get any premium suit for just $359 and free shipping. This is an incredible deal. Again, for a premium made to measure suit, there's a reason why they're the leading made to measure menswear company in North America. And don't forget that Capspace code. Let them know that you came from us. The Portland Trailblazers sit at 15 and 11 have slightly righted the ship after they have lost seven of eight they are three and three in their last six their 2.0 net rating is 13th in the nba sixth ranked offense but down to the 20th ranked defense and that's concerning because this is a very similar cast of characters to what they had last year when they were actually really good defensively. Uh, they project for 44 wins, which would be a tie for the eighth seed, but only 48% chance of making the playoffs because there are so many teams in the mix with them. Where do you want to start with these guys?
1: Well, one thing I want to mention that's not helping their their defense is that they gave up, so in the last, I think, two and a half weeks, they gave up 143 to the Bucks, 125 to the Warriors, 131 to the Spurs. However, they did hold the Phoenix Suns to just 86 points. So congratulations on that. But I want to do an update on the the ridiculous thing with i think this was the first 15 and 60 this year we did on the on the blazers about how cj McCollum just could not make shots at the rim and because of how extreme that was was wanted to keep track to keep tabs on it his proportion of shots at the rim is actually higher than the last couple of years and so now basically he went above his standard 63 percent since november 1st and then for the season he's at 52 percent but that's right in line with where he has been throughout his career and his free throw Temperate rate is also around what we would expect based on his prior numbers.
0: Yeah, that was just so weird that he started like four of twenty-five at, at the rim. It seemed like, like I mean, I, I can't remember anyone ever having a stretch like that shooting at the rim. That it was just one of the most insane stats uh, that we've seen. It, he actually did one of my favorite moves a, a couple of weeks ago when we were doing uh, the NBA cast. This up and under move where you actually step through. Everyone thinks it's a travel. It's not. And instead of just jumping off at two feet lifting your pivot foot off the ground and bringing it through so you can take an extra step as long as you release the ball before bringing it down it's not a travel uh and i sent him a message about that asking you know oh where did you come up with that you know do you practice that like i've been saying people should should do that move for years and he's like nah it was i it was just totally improvised never done it before didn't even think about it like nba NBA players are just absolutely ridiculous (laughs) like (laughs) it's it's completely insane that you could just invent a a move like that that no one else does and just you know it's not a travel like i just i can't imagine just having that ability to incorporate a new move into your arsenal like that on the fly because it's such an unnatural move uh in any event it has still been a tough stretch for them since their 10 and three start they're only five and eight some numbers there the defense is what's really gone downhill 115 defensive rating in their last 13 games and their offensive rating as well it was at a 115 it was a 109 during that stretch so the shooting and the defensive shooting percentages are what's really fallen off they are 30th in opponent three point percentage during that period and 25th on their own three pointers during that period and that has driven some really rough overall e-field goal percentage they were number one in the league in defensive e-field goal percentage that is of course far flukier than the other three of the four factors turnovers rebounding and getting to the free throw line so there was a some regression in order there on both ends and that's what we've seen but I think there will now be progression back to the mean because they're not going to be in the 20s in both those. They have a pretty good track record Uh, and and especially, you know, any team that is 30th in opponent three-point percentage, you can expect that that's going to regress. Like teams don't stay that way for the entire season generally.
1: Something that I've been keeping an eye on this whole season. Is that they've made the decision to play more minutes with Lillard and CJ off the four at the same time. And early on, those lineups were succeeding despite shaky offense because they were defending at this insane level they were i think they were below a point per possession now they still can't score but the defense is getting more to about what you would expect and so those lineups have a negative 6.7 net rating on the year about 500 possessions yeah and i mean a 100 offensive rating in those in those possessions which is the sixth percentile and yeah they have evan turner seth curry is on the floor for a lot of those lineups but you kind of have to the 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 risk benefit calculus here is complicated because you know dave and cj are better together and so you want to try to put together but if you can't survive in those minutes then maybe you have to start running more of a stagger
0: yeah, and your other problem is, you know, negative 4.4 net rating when Damon CJ are together during this 5 and 8 stretch. So, you're not really getting the benefits either way there. I mean, your hope is, yeah, okay, maybe we'll be a slight negative. I mean, I'm sorry, you just you don't have enough creation with Evan Turner running the point and, you know, two guys who can shoot it but are not really going to get any kind of penetration in Curry and stauskas next to him and then they also don't really have any shooting at the four either to take some pressure off of those guys you know they're playing too big i mean i guess you could say maybe myers leonard if they're playing him together with collins but you know leonard while he's shooting it a little bit better this year is not like someone who's striking fear into your heart necessarily you know his, his release is very slow he doesn't have a ton of confidence to just bomb it so, I don't know. I mean, I, they've gotten right a little bit here with that win over Phoenix. They've got to beat Minnesota at home without Covington. But uh, this team is feeling like very 500 y right now.
1: Oh, so this is an interesting data point because Dame and CJ have played so little apart this year that there isn't enough information. They have crazy bad stats, but again, it's like it's no time. So, you don't want to read into that. But I didn't realize that last year they had a, a, a basically a 105 offensive rating when Dame played without CJ and a 99 offensive rating when cj played without dame so maybe part of the idea was that they didn't think those guys could play that they offen that they either one of those guys could carry it reliably by themselves i wonder i wonder if that was part of the impetus here i hadn't realized the numbers were that extreme
0: yeah you you would think maybe that that is what it is but i didn't mean to say is what it is so flippantly there but maybe that is the reason <laughs> would be a better way to say it but uh, this is going to be quite the crucible here 10 of their next 11 are against teams with a positive. Positive net rating at houston and at memphis then they got the raptors at home and a lot of these are against teams that are right in that mix with them for the ac2 they got a couple against the jazz they got a couple against the grizz and then they got a home and home with the warriors towards the end of the month and then they play the sixers at home on a back-to-back so we're going to find out a lot more about these guys if they can weather this stretch i mean there still are four games over 500 if they can go you know six and five over this next 11 games the schedule will start to ease up a little bit and they can still be in it but you know if they're going to go four and seven in this stretch now you're in trouble Let's turn to the 13 and 12 Sacramento Kings, 3 and 2 since the last 15 and 60. -1.0 net rating though is only 20th in the NBA, 17th on offense, 19th on defense, projecting for 33 wins, which would be 14th in the conference, 2% chance of making the playoffs. And when we'll talk a little bit about their game uh, against Indiana, which we both watched some of Victor Oladipo still out. For Indiana, it looked like the Kings were actually controlling the game in the third quarter in Indiana. And then Marvin Bagley got a fifth foul. He played very few minutes in that game. He was only able to stay on the floor for 10 minutes. It uh, fouled out. And while we don't care that much for Bagley at the four, I think we care for him at the four more than we care for Willie Cauley Stein and Costa Cufos together.
1: Yeah. I, I think that was a really, a really important swing part in the end. They didn't have a ton of other options. So I'm not saying, oh, Jaeger made a big tactical mistake or anything like that. But when you play two bigs with limited range together it gave indiana a much easier defensive assignment and those guys
0: yeah. w- worth are noting real just... quickly there that this was also during a time when they were playing turner and sabonis together so i, I think there was a feeling right. that they needed to match up although I, I would be okay with someone smaller on turner but with b elites out of the game I and mean, they just don't really have i mean uh, anybody with any kind of heft i mean it would be like justin jackson or you know maybe troy williams could have done it but it, th- there are not great options i mean they don't really have any threes on this team, not to mention... Fours.
1: Right, and and so that leads to a lot of it. And something that you asked Liam to pull, which is a totally logical thing to look at, especially considering the reported conflict related to something on this point, is the difference between Bielitsa playing power forward and anybody not Bielitsa playing power forward. So there is a, a, a point worth making here that those minutes largely correlate with De'Aaron and Fox being on the floor, and De'Aaron Fox is their best creator. So yeah, you, ha- you have a little bit of that there, but. When when b is on the floor, 112 offensive rating, that drops to 106 without him. So that's a pretty big difference. And their defense gets worse too, 106 to 113. So they go from being about a plus five team to being a minus seven team. That is a massive, massive difference. And something else that's compelling is that the proportion of shots in various areas don't change too much. They they shoot a little bit more at the rim with Bielitsa on the floor and a little bit. But generally speaking, the bigger difference is actually in terms of effectiveness, not in terms of proportion.
0: Yeah. And some of that is Bielitsa doing it himself. I mean, they're shooting 42% from three with Bielitsa uh, at PowerPoint. and It's still a, a solid 37% without him, but uh, they go... Uh, Even with Bielitsa at the four, they don't shoot a ton of threes. Uh, They're 25th percentile there when he's on the floor, but they drop to 6th percentile when he is not at power forward in terms of number of threes. And then at the rim, they go from being solidly above average when he's on the floor to below average in terms of the number of shots when he's off the floor. But yeah, again, a lot of it's the accuracy to 66% at the rim when he's in the game, 62% when he's not in the game. Again, there's just nowhere near as much spacing. There's a lot of guys going into a brick wall. And he plays almost all of his minutes with Fox in that starting group. So they run much better when Fox is in the game. And so you're going to look better in terms of both your threes and your shots at the rim when Fox is in there. Um so the other thing to look at which is related here is what do the numbers look like with Marvin Bagley at center versus at power forward and they can't defend in either of those situations? But at least the offense is passable when Bagley is at center, where they're basically worse than the league type of offense when he is at power forward. What are some of the changes that happen when he's at center versus at power forward?
1: Well, when he's at center, the Kings take fewer shots from mid range, which is generally something you'd want. They're better shooting at the rim. Those lineups broadly have better spacing because if Bagley's at the, at the five, then that means guys with better spacing are out there. Opponents are getting to the line way more when Bagley's at center. I think that's something important. And then one other thing I want to mention with Bagley, kind of the split with him at power forward. I looked this up. Bagley at the four and Fox at the and Fox playing, they have about a one ten offensive rating. And then when Bagley plays w- at the four with any other point guard, they're below a hundred. So that is weighing down the numbers. But, I mean, that is, y- you're not going to get to play all your minutes with Aaron Fox in either alignment.
0: Yeah, especially since he's not starting. And, you know, perhaps that's part of uh, the angst about him not starting. But if he's going to start, it's going to be at the four. And, you know, he and Colley signed together. The numbers uh, are not great there. And when he's at center, opponents just, you mentioned the following, it's also just a, a parade to the rim. 40% of their shots at the rim, we mentioned that number. Once you see a team taking 40% of their shots at the rim on your defense, Defense, that is a really really ugly number and not only that they're also making 71 percent of those shots so uh and it also doesn't help that bagley again i mean he's rarely even playing with bielitsa who's a power forward a lot of times if he's playing at the five they're playing with you know someone really small at the four you know a troy williams or a, a justin jackson type of player i also wanted to say just how impressed i was with bogdanovich in that kings game uh particularly his passing in the third quarter he had these three beautiful passes he had a behind the back bounce pass and pick and roll to set up Colley Stein for a dunk there was another play where he got a steal and the ball was out in front of him just as he's about to get fouled he just used his left hand to just tap it ahead so he couldn't get fouled and uh De'Aaron Fox got a dunk off of that then he had another just awesome oop to Willie Colley Stein and I just uh, I've mentioned this before but I'm just impressed at How well he fights on defense. You know, I don't think that Schumpert, who's been starting at the three mostly for them, to him is that big of a defensive downgrade you know if you want to say who's the better player I think it's clearly Bogdanovich especially as he's worked back into it now from that knee scope that he had that when he suffered the injury over the summer but maybe the thought is and he's also a pretty solid pick and roll player he's probably easily the second best pick and roll player on this team and they have a lot of shooting guards too I might even consider trying to just play him at point guard on the second unit and you know just move on from Mason and, and Yogi Farrell, who I still think should get more of a chance you know he got taken out of the rotation pretty quickly here I still think he's better than Frank Mason and they do need someone who can really shoot threes off the dribble so I'd like to see him get another shot but you mentioned just how much they struggle with Fox uh, off the floor and they have guys like Heald and and Bogdanovich and they want to try to develop Justin Jackson Shumpert has been playing pretty well so they have a lot of depth at the two so if they wanted to have Bogdanovich run the point a little bit more they might be able to do that it's gonna be tough to push the ball quite as much as they do but you know they don't do that that well without Fox in the game anyway so um All right, I think that's all I've got on them. Let's finish this baby up with the San Antonio Spurs
1: san antonio spurs are 13 and 14 four and four in their last eight negative 3.4 net rating puts them 24th in the league they're 10th in offense rough 27th in defense 538 projects them to win 34 which would be tied for 12th in the west gives them only a two percent chance of making the playoffs and i was pretty down on them for most of the last two weeks they had this rough stretch where they lost four out of five a lot of those games weren't close like weren't even particularly competitive they had the the ass kicking in utah they also got waxed by the houston Rockets, but then they had a big weekend. They they won home games on Friday and Sunday against the Lakers and Jazz. And feeling a little bit better. One interesting thing: I don't have the updated numbers because of when we're recording this. On so SRS is a stat that Basketball Reference uses. Of it it combines quality of schedule, like your point margin, a bunch of other things. And before their win over the Jazz on Sunday, the Spurs were 14th in the West in SRS. And we that that will certainly help. Obviously, they beat the Jazz. By I think it was like fourteen at home, but I don't know. Like I, they certainly have the capacity to beat people. I thought that you know, DeRozan had some nice moments. Rudy Gay had some nice moments. They were also killing the Jazz on pick and pops with LaMarcus. They had some big stretches there, but it's hard for me to get really enthused about this iteration of the Spurs.
0: Yeah, the fact that they're able to right the ship a little bit with. Two quality wins at home over the Lakers and the Jazz, teams that were coming in playing pretty well also, definitely helps. They do just have so many holes still in their rotation. I mean, they really need Rudy Gay to play well, and and he was awesome against the Jazz. I think he had 23 and 15 on uh, pretty efficient shooting. I mean, he he was playing with a lot of energy. I mean, he flew in for like a huge offensive rebound as the Jazz were making a run and got back within four after trailing by 20 in the first half, and the Spurs were able to right the ship and maintain about a 10-point lead. After that, Gay is also at 50% from three right now, and that's one thing that's saving them is although they don't shoot any threes, they're still at 38% from downtown i think that they could make some changes to the rotation that would help some Bryn forbes in theory a similar player to patty mills but i think he just doesn't execute as well defensively and you know pop for whatever reason has always felt like we can't start patty mills we got to bring him off the bench that's just what he's been comfortable with pop has been comfortable with but mills is actually in the black in terms of his net rating forbes negative nine net rating so I think if they wanted to start Mills, they might look a little bit better. He's just a better player than Forbes is. There's a reason he, that Mills is making $12 million and Forbes is making like $2 million this year. Uh, also worth noting that they're just getting nothing from Marco Bellinelli right now. I mean, I mean the, nearly the full mid-level exception for him over a two-year guarantee contract. Bellinelli isn't exactly making up for his below 50% true shooting on defense. You know, he, he has really struggled so that's a concern and you know bellinelli i thought had that renaissance with the sixers last year but he's 32 and before that was really like well on his way out of the league it seemed like and so he had that hot shooting and that he's not been able to replicate that in san antonio and then Derek white One of these guys who, yeah, you know, he's had a couple of dunks in the last uh, few games. Looks pretty good when he's out there. And nine pr forty-seven percent true shooting. You know, another one of these guys who, you know, was supposed to uh, be a real contributor. They raved about him in summer league. Yeah, he had that heel issue, uh, but in theory, he's healthy now. He's looked pretty athletic, but the ball is just not going in the basket for him either. So there's just a, uh, you know, they've got Dante Cunningham. He's uh, uh, never really been a decent offensive player. There's just a lot of holes on this team, not just defensively.
1: One guy Who is putting the ball in the basket? Davis Bertans. His. His efficiency stats are completely insane this year. So he has a 72% three-point attempt rate. And he, so he's shooting 45% from three on 7.8 attempts per 36. For a guy who's, who often comes off the bench, you like to use per 36 because minutes are different. So he has a 66% true shooting on 15% usage. I think that 15% usage is too low. And the big problem so far this year has been that lineups, because if you're playing Bertans with LaMarcus... So those guys are the are the the four and the five. Last year, those lineups did really well defensively. 101-2, which is pretty ridiculous. The most used one was DeJounte Murray, Patty Mills, Kyle Anderson, Bertans, and Aldridge. That lineup had a 101.2 defensive rating. This year, Bertans and Aldridge have a 122 defensive rating in almost 400 possessions. Some of that is... Unsustainable opponent shooting, 45% from three, 48% from mid-range, but they're not, they're not, you know, nearly as good as we've talked about, Lamarcus. So I I think it can, t- you know, it's one of those circumstances where it'll regress to the mean, but the mean still isn't in a particularly great place. And something I want to keep an eye on with, with the Spurs, we this is paralleling kind of something we talked about with Portland a little bit ago, is that they have a lot of games against what i would call capable opponents so they don't necessarily it's not like they're playing the top five teams in the league but you know the battling against Philly and the Clippers and Denver twice towards right around New Year's. And, and well, we don't know where Boston is in the whole hierarchy, but if they can kind of hold the fort down during this stretch, and even if it's at around 500, I think that they can be there. But if this is, this could be when they start falling back to the field. I, I hope they can stay in it. But if they don't, this might be the, you know, the next three weeks might be the, the line in the sand. And that would be about a month before, the trade deadline.
0: Yeah, but they—I mean—they can't just hold the fourth They got to actually make up some ground here. I mean, yeah, they—they they are back to thirteen and fourteen, which is uh, getting these two wins was encouraging at least. Now we're not talking about them being the fourteenth seed in the West anymore. That honor goes to the, the Rockets. So, uh, you know, I, I, their defense is not going to be this bad all year. I mean, I think they reached 29th at, at one point. They might have even been thirtieth at, at one point in cleaning the glass stats. Now they're back to twenty seventh. You mentioned some of that really hot opponent shooting that's going to regress a little but but i also oh wait, can think, i mention a
1: yeah. Sorry, can I quick mention a crazy stat for another team just before we end this podcast? Sacramento has a seventy defensive rating in clutch situations right now, and I just want to mention that because it's definitely going to get worse, and that's just bonkers. Sorry, had to had to interject it because I <laughs> pulled the stat and didn't want to didn't want to get it out there.
0: Yeah, you've been talking about that one for a while, actually. Uh, in it's our, crazy in our conversation. So I'm glad I'm glad you got it out there. Uh, like,
1: I mean they they have a they have the league's best clutch net rating right now, and granted, it's only in twenty four minutes. It's gonna it's gonna change, but I I I. I forgot to mention it when we were talking about the Kings because we started talking about Bogdanovich and everything else but I wanted to mention that but now we can get back to this Spurs
0: all right well all I was going to say is I think their offense is going to get worse They're 10th right now but I think their defense will be a little better and I think they can play Better, you know if you had to ask me what's their net rating going to be the rest of the season you know maybe i'd say it'd be more like negative two than negative 3.4 um and also recall that that negative 3.4 excludes the garbage time of those three 30 point losses in four games but it really looked like this season was going to go totally off the rails i mean I, i if we if they actually can right the ship a little bit we'll probably look back on this stretch as you know coming off maybe the worst four game stretch of the popovich era outside of the year they tanked in 96 97 to get tim duncan and perhaps even then frankly so we'll see how they come out of it you mentioned their schedule is not incredibly easy and especially in the western conference you know you said every every team is capable except the suns at this point in time all right yeah go ahead
1: oh i was just going to mention that so a negative two net rating that's that's about like a 35 win team. So that would be about the pace that you'd be projecting them to play at the rest of the way.
0: Yeah. And they are given only 2% chance of making the playoffs right now, even after these two wins, uh, which is, uh, again, I would give, I would give them a higher percent chance than that. Just, just based on the Greg Popovich factor, if nothing else, uh, I don't predict that they will make the playoffs, but 2% still seems too low to me. All right. Uh, there is a much greater than 2% chance that we'll be back tomorrow night gonna do uh a our usual tuesday night gamer and also the nba cast it will be on tomorrow nba tv style with raptors clippers can't wait to do a live game of the clippers to really lock in on their performance raptors getting a lot of love uh, on, on the nba cast these days but uh they're a really fun team to watch uh and then uh we will do Dunk Don, talk about that game and the rest of the night's action after that till then